Hey, what's up, Warrior? It is Jeff from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 434. So my 11-year-old YouTube video on why you should not punch your attacker in a real fight has gone viral again, with a little over one and a half million views in just the last month. Now, when I first put this out, it bunched up a lot of panties in the butt cracks of martial artists, boxers, MMA fighters, brawlers, everybody that really disagree with it. And to date, it has over 23,000 comments on the video, both for and against my reasoning. So this week I pulled out seven of the most legitimate arguments against my never punch theory. And I'm gonna give you a common sense reply that's gonna hopefully convince the doubters out there that this is the way to go. Now. Don't worry about taking notes. I've done all the work for you with this week's one-page cheat sheet covering all the main points for today's show. Plus, we have a bunch of other podcast cheat sheets just waiting for you right now in a special section on our site we call The Loot Locker. And you can download these and a bunch of other cool training resources in there absolutely free. All you have to do is go to warriorlife.com slash loot. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. What's going on there, Warrior? Jeff Anderson here, Executive Director of WarriorLife.com and Warrior Life Academy. Um, okay, this is going to be a this is going to be a fun little adventure for us all. Um, about eleven years ago, a much younger, more sprightly. Jeff Anderson had the absolute audacity to jump onto YouTube and start spouting off about close quarters combat, self-defense, and offering videos that are going to give some sort of a different perspective on the realities of a real street attack instead of just the traditional fighting concepts and, and the techniques that were that were being taught out there. Well, one video that I made really struck a nerve. And that was the one that really launched our YouTube channel uh, because it went viral. I didn't even realize it went viral. I wasn't even paying attention until several million views later. And over the last 11 years, it's gotten over 16 million views. But it's coming back up now because in just the last month, we've had one and a half million. Like something happened where Google just decided, hey, let's go ahead and give this thing another shot after 11 years. And it's taken off again. And look, it's not because of the production value. I mean, this was done, I mean, it is the most god-awful production. Uh, it's not even like the fancy 16 by 9 high resolution. We didn't have high def then. Like, we're going back to the stone age of video. And so it's not the production work. But people can't stop talking about it. That's why it's gone so viral. In fact, it's probably the most hated self-defense video on the interwebs. Um, actually, there's about a 50-50 split of likes and dislikes on the video itself. Um, but it, it's like it's the other half. It's the people that are disagreeing with me on the principles that I offer in the video that I, I just actually I don't understand why people don't get this. I, it really kind of dumbfounds me, except that. There's just so much traditional thinking out there that people just don't really know. So I'm talking about my 11-year-old video on why you shouldn't punch in a real street fight. And one of the reasons why this video went so viral is because of all that conversation that it created. So yeah, we got a bunch of 
a bunch of likes on it, but we got over 23,000 comments on it. And it just keeps going and going and going. Now, again, 50-50 on the likes and dislikes, but most of the comments are negative about what an idiot I am. Um, they're just... Uh, you know, just they're just little quips of like, ignore this guy. Um, they make fun of my red hair. They make fun of my camo pants that I'm wearing because I am. I mean, this is an old these are you'll see how young I was in these videos. But, yeah, I'm wearing I'm wearing my camo pants in there. Um, that's one of the biggest comments I get on those early close combat self-defense videos that I did. And I've I've answered this so many times inside of the inside of the comments that I just kind of get like after a while, I'm just not even going to like type it in. So I'll just give it right now. Like the reason why I'm wearing my camel pants isn't to be like, uh, you know, Navy SEAL Jeff Anderson jumping in there and, and for ego, um, it took a lot. Like I was very afraid of, of public speaking and doing anything in front of people and especially putting my, putting my huevos out on the chopping block there to go out on YouTube and put out my beliefs and my my thoughts on what it takes to really defend yourself. Like that was a really hard thing for me to do. Those BDUs, those camo, those camo pants that I wear and the boots are the same ones that I wore into combat. And so I wore them to give myself strength, to be able to put out the information that I wanted to put out. So that's the reason why I'm wearing camo. It's not so that I blend in or that I'm, I'm coming off as uh, some military hand to hand combat specialist. I just give my point of view and that's it. But most most of those comments are just kind of really just stupid stuff. And look, I love comments. I love I invite comments. I want people to comment because I want you to prove me wrong. I don't I don't have to I don't care about being number one self-defense close combat guru out there. That's not my goal. My goal is to protect myself and my family in an attack. So if that is my goal, and that should be your goal, you've got to get the ego out of it. Like, I'm looking for people to prove me wrong. Explain to me why. Most people don't offer any sort of explanation whatsoever. They just say, he's an idiot. Oh, love the camel pants. Ha ha ha. Who is this guy? Whatever. It's like, most of it's just like 13 year old. They're not 13 years old, but it's just, it's that level of maturity with the comments. So there really is no reason why. And a lot of times I'll go in there and I'll ask people, okay, I appreciate your opinion, but tell me why you're saying that. Give me an explanation. Back it up. My video backs up exactly why I say you should not punch in a real attack to defend yourself. But most people just, they don't have a reason why it's just been regurgitated. But there are a lot of people that do offer their own feedback on why they think that I'm an idiot and why I have no clue what I'm doing or that I've never been in a real fight before in my life. So what I thought I'd, I'd do this week is something a little bit different and answer the legitimate challenges to the principles that I cover in this video. Now, if you're listening to this on the podcast, I'll go ahead and on our website at warriorlife.com uh, or you can go to warriorlifepodcast.com that'll also take you over to the podcast section on our site. And I will go ahead and link the video there so that you can go watch the video itself. I am going to be covering some of the principles in here, more of like the answers to those legitimate challenges, people that were professional enough to at least give a reason why. They may not have been professional enough in the way they communicated things, but I let, you know, I let people be the people. I look for the message in it. And so Based upon the comments that I've been getting for the last 11 years, 
the legitimate arguments that are worthy of a response all come down to about seven. Um, basically, it, it just it boils down into these same seven principles. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take them one by one and share with you. If you're watching the the stream, then you can go ahead. I'll, I'll I'm going to give these people their uh, these commenters their 15 minutes of fame and read their their challenge to the video, and then I'll go ahead and give my response. So if you are watching the stream, you'll be able to see the people up there. If not, I'll just go ahead and give the names if you're listening to the podcast, but you can watch that stream over on any of our social media channels like Facebook or YouTube uh, when it does go streaming on usually on Tuesday nights um, or, you know, on our, you can, we'll go ahead and put the replay up also. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here so that we can get started here with number one. All right. So there's a couple people actually that are, uh, this is kind of like a synopsis of a few different ways that I get this, but uh, Quincy Spielberger says, mm, nah, this guy obviously has never taught, trained, or lived in a street fighting mecca. When you learn to street fight, you actually learn setups, typical assault defense, and attacks that minimize defensive counters. The average street street fight is over in 47 seconds. I'm not sure where he, he got that number from, but apparently people are out there timing street fights. Um, if you have a concealed carry, do not allow yourself to become physically engaged as this instructor would allow you to do. If a physical altercation escalates to a shooting, you can easily be charged with a crime. There's another commenter here, uh, Kevin Steele, who said, riddle me this, if a guy starts a fight and you're carrying a gun, why would you punch somebody? You're waffling back and forth. Um, okay, so a few things here. Uh, I never know where to start. So one, I, I get questioned on my experience a lot. And, you know, have you ever have you ever really been in a fight? Have you ever taught? Have you ever whatever? And it's like, well, yeah, I I have been in fights. Uh, yeah, I've been training in martial arts most of my life and, and some form of combatives. Anytime that I was anywhere that I was ever stationed in the world, I would always go and find whatever I could get as far as training, no matter how remote we were, uh, whatever I could get as training. Sometimes it was just a, a, an instructor who didn't actually have a school, but he was an instructor, a black belt. A lot of times you find that in the military and we would do private lessons, or I might find a school that's local. Even when overseas, we still would practice these things, or I would learn from other people. Um, I also, in my when I lived in New Mexico, high gang population where I lived, it was in a remote remote, uh, it was actually in a, a Pueblo. It was in, uh, I lived on a reservation actually. And there was a lot of gangs there. We had a lot of competing gangs, a lot of gang fights. Uh, I dealt with security in the school systems as a manager for the entire area. And so I dealt with mostly with the schools. They were our, our biggest uh, people, but I have seen these fights over and over and over again, gang fights, um, all kinds of different fights. And also where I lived, dealt with gangs right outside my door in a lot of different ways. So, yeah, I, I kind of know what I'm talking about, at least in my thing. But it's the um, it's this concept of like, why would you ever why would you have to know these things? Why would you have to know not to punch in a fight? And the exact reason why is in the video, which I just to give you the synopsis, if you've not seen the video, is that if you go to punch, it's very easy to harm your hand, your your wrist, your fingers. There's a lot of little bones in there. And so it's very easy to injure yourself. Anybody that has ever done boxing or has done martial arts and every any heavy bag work or sparring, you know that inevitably at some point you're going to 
fold your wrist, even on a heavy bag. So this, um, this thing, if you have a concealed carry, do not allow yourself to become physically engaged as this instructor would allow you to do. No, I'm not saying allow yourself that this was kind of a, I thought this was kind of weird, but if you're concealed carry, um, don't allow yourself to become physically engaged. We talk about how most likely most attacks happen if you are armed or even if you're unarmed, right? Like the criminal doesn't always know that you're armed. Most of the time isn't going to know. So they do keep that in mind though. And so most fights, even gunfights are going to happen within nine feet. Those are just the, that's just how the, the numbers stack out because most of them either happen as a criminal ambush or as a, I mean, because they don't want to get caught, right? And they don't want to, they don't want fighting back. So if they're going to get violent, they're just going to come out and they're just going to take you out oftentimes, right? Or they're going to be so close that you're not going to have time to be able to get to a weapon that you have. Same thing goes, um, is escalated arguments is another thing. So most of the time, if you're in an argument, somebody gets violent, you're in argument zone. You're not across the street from one another. So when that attack happens, again, you, you're not going to be able to get to your weapon. So most likely, if you are armed with the either with any kind of a weapon, whether that's a knife or whether it is a, a gun, you're most likely going to have to fight to it. So that's why you need to know these techniques. Uh, Kevin's comment about um, if you're carrying a gun, why would you punch somebody? That is one example um, that I just gave you, but also not everything is going to justify lethal force. If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So you need to have other options for defending yourself. Now that doesn't have to be a gun or a knife. Um, having a weapon is going to be best if you if it does escalate, but you might not be able, legally justified to be able to use lethal force. So having something like a flashlight, a pen, um, even a personal alarm that you can just pull and have the alarm and the strobe go off, like those those things matter. They they help to to stop the attack, and that's all you're really trying to do. So not everything is going to be a lethal encounter there. Um, so you need to know how to defend yourself when all you have are your body weapons. You need to know how to use them. So if you can fight back to your weapon, then you're going to want functionality of your hand, which is the whole point of the um, of the of the video to begin with. All right. Uh, comment number two is from Koito Rob, who said, sorry, but no, the head does not naturally move down. If it did, you wouldn't have broken noses, split lips, black eyes, broken cheekbones, etc." Um, only people trained to fight would do that, and those with trainings, those with trainings, first reaction would be too legit. I'm not sure what he actually means by the last part, but nonetheless, what what I'm talking about in the video is that oftentimes during the fights, what'll happen is the the chin naturally ducks down to protect the throat and kind of puts you in more of a forward, more aggressive stance if you're going to fight back. And so what I say is that people go to to punch toward the toward the face or toward the head and somebody's head might go down naturally out of instinct. And then you're punching the top of their head, which is very hard. And you're very likely going to break um, a finger or your wrist or, or something that's going to take away functionality for you not to be able to use your knife or your gun if you can get to it. Um, so Koido Rob is saying, no, that does not naturally happen. A bunch of people do go in there and say, no, that's not true. Most of the time the head goes back, things like that. So the reality is, is that nothing is 100%. So Koido Rob is right and he's wrong. Um, 
you can watch as many street fights as you want, and you're going to notice a few things. An aggressive attacker, an aggressive attacker is is going to be in a forward motion, so they're going to be coming at you if they're aggressive. So a lot of guys are going to try and grab your leg. So the guys that are into mixed martial arts or uh, jujitsu, they might want to take you down because that's what they know how to do. Same thing with wrestlers. Um, in fact, I think that there is a uh, nope. So I, we did have another comment by somebody else who said I've, I've you know I've taken I've brought guys down to the ground all the time and I take them out and I've won every one of them. So a lot of people try to justify that. Um, so these guys that go down, their head is going down. They're going to grab your legs. And so all you're going to have is the top of their head as they're, as they're coming in, you're not going to get access to their nose, their eyes and things like that. Now, if somebody is squaring off, um, and they're boxing, when two fighters square off like that, oftentimes the shoulders will come up and the chin goes down and that's how they fight. That's how people fight. If you're going to go toe to toe with somebody and start trading blows, People are circled around you. Most often, you will go into boxing mode. People are going to go into boxing mode. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying that that's what most people will do. When that happens, their chin naturally does go down. You can you can see it in videos. It's perfectly, again, nothing's 100%, but most of the time, that is what's going to happen. Now, where the head does go back is if you're flinching from like a first punch. Somebody goes out to strike you or they fake, whatever it is and you don't have any protection in front of you, you didn't have your hands up, you weren't expecting the attack, your entire body goes backwards because you are, that is a, a, a flinch response that you're not necessarily in control of, 99.9%, right? And so what ends up happening is your body senses, your, your, your eyes sense that there is movement coming toward you. It already stresses that you're in danger, but that movement comes toward you. And so all the brain wants you to do is to take your body as far away from that missile as possible. So when that happens, your body goes backwards and it tries to stretch your head as far away from the strike as possible. So that is true that the head goes back like that, but is also giving you distance. So the strike, even if it hit, wasn't going to be as powerful, but nonetheless, that's typically what happens in a defensive mode or in a flinch response head oftentimes goes up. That's most of the time the head is going to go up, but it's also going to go back. In an aggressive stance, most of the time it's going to go down or if they are coming at your legs. But then even when somebody's going backwards, when they're fighting back, unless they're, you will see people try to fight where they're just kind of leaning backwards at the waist and they're just have these wild roundhouse blows that they're just trying to get in there, but they're trying not to get hit. That's why they're arched backwards. That person is not going to land a very good blow anyway. What you want is aggression. You want to you want to replace their body with your body. You want forward momentum. You just want to drive through them and just destroy them if you're going to be in a fight. All right. The next comment goes to Al's fan. And this is a very common martial arts saying. Uh, soft hits hard, hard hits soft. Basically, what that saying is that if you are striking a hard object like somebody's skull or anything else that is very bony, like a shin, that you want to use a soft part as of your of your own body as a striking surface. So, for example, palm heel, like I talk about in the video itself, or it might be uh, it might be a hammer fist. It could even be an elbow, although it's hard on your on your uh, on your forearm. There are 
ways, you know, the back elbows and things like that that are, are more meaty. So if you are going to strike the head, you want to use something soft. However, if you are striking something soft, like you are punching into somebody's ribs or their stomach or their abdomen, their balls, whatever it is, then you want to use a hard target, like a, like a punch is what they're saying. All right. So very, very common saying in martial arts. Um, however, it doesn't matter if you hit their head or you hit their stomach, your wrist is still vulnerable to fold. I have struck even, even with gloves on heavy bags and folded my wrist. So the problem is that the target is going to be moving. And so even if you strike into the stomach, if they twist their body, or if you catch the top of their floating ribs, and then the, underneath that is just gut and your hand catches just on the top of their, like the top of your hand, the top of your punch hits on the floating rib, but it goes squishy underneath that, it's going to fold your wrist. So you need to understand that it doesn't matter where you're hitting them. You are still vulnerable to damaging your hand, which is going to limit your ability to come back and fight with another weapon. All right. So this next comment is one I get, I'll get a lot of. This is one of my favorites. Okay. So uh, this is from KC. And he says, imagine if Tyson went palm heel in every fight. He means that in sarcasm because I talk about using the palm heel instead of a punch in the uh, in the video. He says, "I wonder what I wonder would he still be nicknamed Iron Mike?" But then again, I ain't willing to find out neither. Well, you kind of don't have to, KC, because um, boxers are taped up and padded for a reason, and they still sprain their wrist, break their wrist. They still injure their hand even during the fights, even when they're all taped up to give them. A stronger foundation or they're padded up because they have boxing gloves on there, they still injure their hand. Now, we're also talking about like skilled fighters. They've been training a lot and things like that. But people bring up Tyson all the time. And I love it when they bring up Tyson, because if Tyson were to tell you anything, well, this is Mike Tyson on the left here. And back in, I think it was 1988 or so, he got into a fight with Mitch Green, who he, Mitch Green had lost to uh, Tyson in an earlier fight and they were in Harlem and the stories differ whether they were outside of a club or whether they were outside of a store. Each person says that the other person started the fight, but here's the results of their fight. If you're looking at this screen here, uh, Mitch Green got tagged right above his left eye by Tyson and uh, that ended the fight. That ended the fight. But when you see the picture of Tyson, his entire arm is in a cast because he he did he did break um uh, I don't know some like metacarpal or something like that. But he he injured his hand. In fact, he had he was on a uh, he had a fight coming up where he was going to be defending his title, and it was questionable whether he was going to even be able to fight from going forward to be able to defend his title. Whether that was going to have to be. Whether that was going to have to be forfeited. So this is somebody who ironed Mike Tyson in a real fight with one punch, damaged his hand. And yeah, did it end the fight? Absolutely. Can it end the fight? Yeah, it can. You could punch somebody, knock them out. There's videos and videos and videos showing people to do that, um, how they did that. If you go into the comments in my video, you'll find just as many people 
that will say, no, I've been fighting for years. And what he says is absolutely true. In other words, what I say is true. Like they broke their hand or people say that they, they did hit somebody in the, in the head and they, they busted their hand or they, they folded their wrist and couldn't fight. Like the people that have actually been using it are the ones usually who have said, oh, yes, not out, not every time. Cause you got the guys that want to wrestle you down and they win every fight, things like that. And look, Mike, we're going to go over that. I think a little bit later, a little bit more too, but Mike Tyson himself hurt his hand. You don't want that to be you, right? Okay. Uh, all right. So legit challenge number five is, this is another very common one we get, especially from a lot of martial artists. And this one comes from Appliance Repair, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. I guess that's the guy's, uh, oh, he's got 132 subscribers. And I guess that's his, uh, that's his business out there. But having... I think he means having knocked many a fool out in a street fight. It's obvious you're better at talking than anything else. <laughs> okay. Musashi once said that victory in combat is obtained by using the correct technique. That may be a punch, a grapple, or a projection. Um, I guess it means like a weapon or something like that. Um, so if you're worried about breaking your hands in a punch, you haven't learned to punch correctly. All right. So let me go ahead and respond to this. I get Because I do get this a lot. And... Yes, I, I know how to punch. It's not about how to punch. It's about the uncontrollable dynamics of the contact that your punch makes with your attacker's body that is not structured. The same thing goes when you are shooting down at the range with a gun. If if you don't know how to shoot is based upon, if somebody were to say that, you're like, you don't know how to shoot in the same situation, if that's based upon your one-inch shot group at the static gun range where that two-dimensional target that's hanging off of the hanging off of the, the clips, and you're able to get a one-inch shot group there um, in the relaxed atmosphere, not having to move, not having to do anything like that, then are you really going to be able to get that one-inch shot group on a moving target if they're trying to move to the side of you, if you're moving? What about if the attacker is rushing at you full speed with a knife in his hand? What about those dynamics? That's what this is about. But just going to this, like you, you haven't learned how to punch correctly, Jeff. Well, how do you punch correctly? So tell me how to do that. I mean, I've learned how to punch in martial arts lots of times. And so here's one that was a, a real comment from uh, Control. That's his, his YouTube name. And he says, no, punch with the bottom two knuckles, line of strength, a long arm, genuine Wing Chun punch. So punch with the bottom two knuckles. I know a little bit of Wing Chun. Um, getting back, actually getting ready to to start training in it here again very soon here. But punch with the bottom two knuckles. But wait a minute, here's the Krav Maga poster that says, "Why are we picky about how you punch? Uh, make contact with your first two knuckles and don't roll your wrists and keep your elbow in." And he says, "This is why." And there is an X-ray on this poster that is uh, seemingly I can't vouch for this, but there is an X-ray on there of a hand, and it says, "This is why." This is an actual x-ray from a police officer, ex-military, man's man. One of his punches hit on the two outside knuckles, in other words, the two bottom knuckles that were given by control, um, and his wrist rolled. He had to have surgery and metal plates put in his hand. And it shows two fractures, one in one of his uh, one of his fingers in, inside of the hand, and then another in the wrist. So uh, this, this poster in Krav Maga is saying to punch with the first two knuckles, 
And then you want to keep your wrist in line with the body, elbows tucked in and things like that. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether you're playing, you're doing Wing Chun or whether you are doing Krav Maga. And I've trained in both of those, right? You may not hit with your first two knuckles, or you may not hit with your bottom two knuckles. You don't always have the ability to decide where your hand is going to hit because you're dealing with the dynamic situation where you have a moving attacker. So if they're sliding to left and when you make contact, if they're sliding to left, your hand is also going to go to the left because you're punching into them and that's you're going to move. That's not the same thing as hitting a Makawara board or something more stationary, even a heavy bag. You're going to have a moving target there. They might put their head down. Again, you think you're punching into their stomach and all of a sudden they bring their leg up and you're punching into their shin. The situation is dynamic. And that's the whole point is that you don't have control over that. Now, the other side of what I'm saying to do with your strikes and using an alternative strike is any sort of open hand strikes that you can do, whether that is a palm heel or a slap to the eardrum. Whatever it is, when you are going out there, when you have an open hand that's going out toward your attacker, it also gives you the option to grab onto them, the back of their head, their clothing, a weapon. You can't do that with a, a fixed punch where you've got your, your knuckles all wrapped up, you've got your, your thumb wrapped around it, and you are just trying to get to, uh, just trying to punch them as hard as you possibly can. You're going to have to go through that conscious effort to open up your hand. I'm not saying it takes a long time to do that. I'm just saying that if you're using an open hand anyway, it's already there. So when you when you go up to do a palm heel smash to the nose and they put their head down and you touch the top of their head, that's not a very effective blow, but they have long hair, your hands are already open. Grab the hair. That's going to help you to if it's especially if it's on the back of their head or on the side of their head, not so much on the top, but when you grab that and you wrench it in a either a circular motion or you just move it around that where the head goes, the body's going to follow. And so that gives you the ability to do that. All right. So another reason for open hand strikes. Okay. The next one here comes from a B who says, technically you're not trying to hit the head. You are logically trying to use cross punches aiming generally between the eye and the ear. If you practice doing the push-ups on your knuckles, the likelihood of breaking your hand are, are, are relatively low. If you have not trained and practice to align your forearm to your knuckles and only strike in that way, you should probably just run. Well, that's, you know, you can always have the ability to run. That's another reason why you have to know how to, how to fight, right? Uh, so again, we go back to, if you don't know how to punch, just run. Um, again, no, I'm going to say no, but there is something here with um, practicing by doing push-ups in your knuckles. Again, anybody that's trained in martial arts knows that that's one of the things that we oftentimes do. And that does strengthen, you know, if you're doing them on your first two knuckles, usually that's what you're doing, then that's going to help toughen up the skin that's there. Uh, you are, there are ways that you can make your skin tougher. There are ways that you can make your ligaments, your wrist, all of that can be stronger. Absolutely. And doing pushups on your knuckles will help you do that. I do recommend people do that because the stronger that structure is, um, the stronger your grip on your handgun is going to be. And you'll be able to reduce recoil. You'll be able to get faster follow-up shots. You'll be able to hold on to a knife or some other weapon much easier. You'll be able to hold on to your gun easier and retain that weapon. And if you do strike with somebody, whether it is an open hand or whether you do close hand, I don't care, 
it is going to be a stronger strike because you're going to have more of a rigid striking surface there, more structure when you do make contact there. Um, Carl Sestari, the late Carl Sestari, was um, was great. I mean, he was very dedicated to close quarter combatives. And he would, I mean, I remember him showing like how to basically strike bricks with your hands, like really toughen yourself up. I mean, his hands were like freaking, they were like steel mallets. But not everybody's going to do that kind of training. There's this like iron palm training. There's lots of different things out there to be able to strengthen your strike, right? But this isn't about your skin. It's about the structure. And so... Um, while I recommend doing all of that stuff, and you don't even need to use all of those things, like we have our crush grip trainer, that's going to help out as well. We have our tacta balls, those exercise hand balls for your for your hand, and those are going to help strengthen and give you more flexibility, things like that. So you're it will help you absolutely. But again, this is not about um, it's about structure, but you really it's about the the dynamics that are of that striking service when you make contact there. So yes, it can help, but that's, again, um, I do recommend people do that. What it would be a saying, but it's not your free pass to go and punch people in a real fight. Okay. Uh, the last one here is I get this. Oh, I get this so many times. I get a lot of comparisons with mixed martial arts, just like we get a lot of comparisons with boxers. And so there's a couple of comments here. So one from Strange Universe One, who says, does this guy have any martial arts training? The best way to take out an opponent is a hard, well-aimed kick to the groin or do a fierce karate kick on the kneecaps and break his knee. This advice is from the man Chuck Norris himself. Far be it to me to, to, to argue with the great wondrous Chuck, Chuck Norris, okay? But, um, but Strange Universe goes on to say that real fighting is all about distance and spacing. Um, so he also gives like an, or, so I'll, I'll just, I'll just touch on this one first. Like, no, it's real fighting is not about distance and spacing. It's about, it's about taking your attacker out. It's about doing damage, um, keeping your distance, unless it's just running away and, and like you can outrun them and you don't have to fight, do it. Absolutely. If it's a, if it's a multiple attacker scenario, run, if you can, you can't always run or they might catch up to you and now you're just winded. And now you got to fight back. So no, real fighting is not about distance and spacing. At some point, you if you have to fight, you need to take this person out. So you need to be able to effectively strike them or get to a weapon. Hence the video, you need to make sure that you are able to get to a weapon. Even if, that's a, even if that is a weapon of opportunity, you're able to pick something off the ground, grab a stick, grab any other, I don't care if it's a trash can lid. If you can't grab it, then you're going to be severely limited in your ability to fight back, especially if it is a multiple attacker scenario, right? So no, real fighting is not about distance and spacing. Are they factors? Yes. Um, so he goes on to, or you can get them on the ground and do a chokeout maneuver like a snake. This disables the effectiveness of a punch. And I'll just echo this with uh, Guy Aldrich, who also left a comment in here. He says, I turn fights into wrestling matches. I've won every one of those. So I do get this a lot with a lot of comparison, like, you know, haha, I tell this to all the mixed martial arts guys who are punching. And yes, if you go back into old days UFC before they were all padded up, did people punch? They punched, sure. Go and look at some of the greats like Boss Rutan. Go and look at some of his chain punches that are very similar to the Wing Chun chain punches. He will tell you to go ahead. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't punch or hasn't punched, but he will talk about the effectiveness. And I've seen him just take a guy out in a matter of seconds. 
just a few seconds. So the other guy that said 47 seconds, that's too damn long. Like that's, you're going to be tired in 47 seconds and you don't want to be tired, especially if the guy's buddies come up there. Right. So um, you want to end this thing very, very quickly doing that by getting them down on the ground. Look, if you are a skilled Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter or you are a wrestler, um, I can tell you that when my Krav instructor who, you know, we did private lessons, uh, Justice, uh, that's his name is Justice. Um, if, if he would took me down to the floor, he mopped me up. I am not skilled in how we shall say fair fighting on the ground, which is exactly what this was. I did another podcast on things that I learned in my lessons in my Krav Maga training. And um, unfortunately, all the targets that I had to go to, ripping his balls off, um, gouging, eye, all the things that I would do in a real attack, I'm not going to do to my instructor. And that doesn't mean he's not a better skilled ground fighter than I am. He absolutely is. If he had his legs wrapped around my my torso, I mean, it was like a boa constrictor. And within just a matter of a fraction of a second, sometimes he put the pressure on me and sometimes he was just toying with me. But when he really put the pressure down, I couldn't breathe. You're going to lose the fight very, very quickly like that. However, that was me and him in a one-on-one -on -one private lesson. In a real fight, that time that you were there choking somebody out, somebody is going to take their size 12 steel-toed shit kickers and, and kick away at your coconut. I've seen this happen so many times, real gang attacks, um, even in instances where it might be somebody that just over looks and sees you choking somebody out and they don't know that you're the good guy. They don't know that somebody else was the aggressor. They just see you choking somebody out. They're turning blue and they come over and they hit you with a, a glass, a bottle, kick you in the head. You don't see it coming. Anytime that you're down on the ground, that is the last place that you want to be. You're opening yourself up for attacks from their buddies or just somebody else. So unless you are alone and there's nobody else around and you are well-trained and you know you can choke them out, otherwise it just ends up becoming a very a very laborious, um, exhausting ground fight wrestling match. And then it's like you don't have anything left to be able to do anything with it. Uh, no, no, Nothing left to be able to really fight back. Okay. So those are the seven, I think, legitimate things. The things that come up most often for people's arguments against why you should not punch in a street fight. Um, I hope that I've given you accurately the, the arguments that are out there that people that I think have, at least it's worth a response. And I hope that I've given you a response, including those people that I've just given you your, your little bit of fame here, that you are also looking at that and hopefully I've changed your mind. But here's the, again, I want comments. If you disagree with me, let me know. If you agree with me, let people know. So I prefer with your comments, you can go over to our our, our website at warriorlife.com or slash uh, podcast or warriorlifepodcast.com, same place. Or I prefer you actually go on over to YouTube and go right into YouTube and comment there. That's where most people are going to see it anyway. But if you agree with me or if you have experience here, go in there and leave a comment. Show these people like, no, in real life, you know, get outside of all your traditional training, things like that. It makes sense. To me, that's why I don't get it. Like, I don't understand why people don't understand it because it just makes sense. I carry a concealed handgun. That is like if I'm getting an attack, if I'm ambushed, 
I'm going to assume that it's a life or death encounter. I don't know if this person has a weapon. If I've got a criminal that just ambushed me in a parking lot or something. So I'm going to, I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to defend my life. If I punch somebody and I hurt my hand, I might not be able to draw my weapon. I might not be able to function with my weapon. So it, it only makes sense to me. I don't understand why people don't get this. Okay. But I want to hear from you. So if you do disagree with me, go and put a comment in there. Number one, be professional. Don't be like these douchebags on here that, you know, make fun of my red hair. It's not red, by the way. It's strawberry blonde with a lot of gray in it now. But nonetheless, like, it's like, be professional. Give me a legitimate argument. Um, I don't always respond to every one of them. I think this is this covers most of them that are out there. But give me something to go off of. Um, if I'll gladly point it out. If if I'm wrong, I want to know because all I care about is defending my family. That's all you should care about too. All right. So please go on over to youtube.com slash warrior and look for the do not punch in a real street fight video. And um, that's the one that's blowing up right now. So go ahead and leave your stuff there. Okay. All right. That's it, folks. Until our next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.